For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In our teaching today, the Apostle Paul lays out important end-time subjects such as the day of the Lord, the rapture, and the Antichrist. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Man of Lawlessness. So it wasn't just the persecutors that was making uh, life miserable for our friends at Thessalonica. A young church, probably a year old at the time of Paul's writing, um, it wasn't just the persecution, it was also the false teaching and the false teachers. Now, sometimes the theological attack against the Christian community is fiercer and more devastating than physical persecution. Because you're intact, your faith is intact, and you're walking with the Lord. And it just seems like you can kind of muscle through an outward attack of some kind. You know, they insult you, you or you, you get a new job or whatever, but false teaching goes into your soul. And its job is to loose you from the moorings of truth. And once you don't know what's true anymore, Wow, there are all kinds of terrible consequences to that. And that's exactly what happened to our friends there in that little Greek city, one of the very first churches, evangelical born-again people, to be in, the, in Europe. It started in Philippi, then it, it went to Berea, and then the gospel went to Thessalonica. And so there are just, just a few churches in all of Europe, and this one being one of them. Uh, But they're having troubles uh, with persecution and false teachers. And so chapter one was about dealing with the persecution and and the Lord really encouraged them talking about God's justice. God will be just. God will reward believers and he will punish those who persecute uh, the church in unbelief and in wickedness. And so we covered that and he already gets now to chapter two, their second big problem was false teaching about what we call the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, or the it's called the day of the Lord, as we'll see in our text. So Paul's gonna dive in here in chapter two and do a few things. The first thing he's gonna do is in uh, verses one through three, he's going to expose the error, okay? And then secondly, he's going to teach the truth. And he does that in verses 4 through 12. And then he's going to affirm the church because what comes in the second point is so upsetting that you can see why he closes, rounds out his thinking with some great affirmation to the believers there. Uh, So exposing the error, teaching the truth, and affirming the church, uh, let's dive in. Exposing the, the error. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the the rebellion occurs 
and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. So we're going to park there with exposing the error. The first uh, exhortation, if you like to take notes, is really calm down, calm down. Don't let your faith fall apart so easily with every idea that seems to infiltrate the Christian community. Don't be so easily pushed around by all kinds of false teaching, cleverly devised arguments that are based on human logic and not divine inspiration. Don't, don't be so quick to unravel theologically. The gospel's been entrusted to us, the Bible says, once and for all, and we are called to guard it, to guard it with the strength and the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So with chapter one out of the way, talking about uh, payback to the unbelievers in this world who persecute uh, God's people and reject Christ uh, and rewarding believers, now he's talking about this error that's gotten a hold of them and shaken them up. You know. So what exactly are we talking about? Well, the rumor was that they missed the rapture, okay, what we call the rapture, because we call it the day of the Lord. So uh, about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him, that is the catching away of the church to meet the Lord in the air, uh, we ask you not to be alarmed, uh, and because he says that the day of the Lord, here it is, the title, now, let me refresh your memories from, from last time we spoke. I have a little chart that gives the end time. Now, when you say the day of the Lord, it, it just is a title for the end of the world, as the Bible <laughs> predicts, all right? The end of the world, meaning there's a culmination of events uh, that ends with Armageddon. Everybody just thinks of Armageddon. But the day of the Lord starts with God removing the church from the earth out of harm's way. And then as you see, what's confusing is the day of the Lord can mean the whole shebang. It means anything from the rapture of the church, the catching away, uh, to the great tribulation that has followed. The great tribulation was named by Jesus, who called it that in Matthew 24. Also, an angel who was speaking to John in the vision of Revelation calls it the Great Tribulation. That's where we get the name. All right, it's from Daniel and John. It's a seven-year period divided up three and a half years, three and a half years. There's a middle part to it uh, that happens when the Antichrist proclaims himself to be God. That event is called the Abomination of Desolation. All that Daniel made that term through the Holy Spirit. It all that means is the, the horrifying thing that brings the end. That happens at three and a half years into the great tribulation. And then the Lord talks about Revelation chapter six, all the way through to 18, it's a lot of chapters, 21 judgments from heaven to the earth. And that is what is called the great tribulation. At the end of that, it culminates in a place called Armageddon or Armageddon, the, the valley of Megiddo is where the big, uh, the last war and the Lord appears with his people. And then the millennial kingdom that you and I are supposedly praying for every day in the Lord's prayer, uh, thy kingdom come, comes. And that's a thousand year period. And so this basically, when the Bible talks about 
the day of the Lord, it can be talking about the whole thing or it can be talking about a sliver of it, the day of the Lord. So in this case, he's talking about the first part. So the beginning of the whole thing is when the church disappears. Now, the great tribulation has not started. The day of the Lord has. Because the, the day, the tribulation starts and he's going to tell them how they know they're not in the great tribulation, two events, and he's going to describe it, all right? Uh, so let's take a, a, a look at the verse that we're talking about, the rapture. We're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is why we have to have a rapture. For God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. This is, he's talking about the great tribulation in the context. We're not appointed to that. Now, Jesus said in John 16, 13, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We get trouble from the world and from the spiritual powers of darkness, the devil. We get that. But God has a day of wrath that is coming that ends human history. He says the church is not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is always saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Lord is coming. He's taking us out of harm's way. And then the end comes. Now, here's where we get the word rapture, as I've told you many times. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And we who are still alive and remain, sitting at Starbucks, enjoying a latte, you know, <laughs> boom, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The idea is the Lord comes out from the city, from, the, from heaven, and escorts us, meets us in the air, and takes the church, escorts us into the city of God, heaven, right? Now, check this out. The church nicknamed this event the rapture, as I taught you before, from this word, caught up when the Greek went to Latin. The Latin word for caught up is rapturo. When the Latin went to English, they just decided, let's transliterate rapturo to rapture, and let's keep rapture. We like it. So 200 years, the church has been calling it the rapture. When somebody says the word rapture isn't even in the Bible, they're wrong because it's right there. Caught up is rapturo in, in another language. That word is there. And so the reason why we have a catching away now is because of the wrath that's coming. And Paul's been saying, we're not appointed to that. We're going to suffer a lot. But when the end comes and God appears and God stops you know, pouring out bowls of wrath on the earth where there are no mountains and no more islands and the sun, moon, and stars don't shine anymore. That's what the day of the Lord is. We are not appointed to that. Revelation chapter six starts the, starts the tribulation with these words, the great day of God's wrath is here. Well, hello, Paul says, God didn't appoint us Christians to suffer wrath but to receive deliverance. What's the deliverance? For we who are alive at the time will be caught up and out of the way. And then comes the destruction on the earth. What did the false teacher say? Look around, people. 
They're killing us. They're throwing us in jail. We miss the rapture. It's our, we're in the tribulation. That's what they were saying. And that's what had unsettled and alarmed those new believers. Hey, wait a second. They're upset, right? So you can go back to the verse and we'll pick it up there. I think you have an understanding. Now, two verbs, they are unsettled and they are alarmed. Unsettled means to be shaken from your mind, literally, uh, your convictions or your assurance. Uh, it's used uh, figuratively to describe a storm that will force a ship away from its moorings, okay? So he says, don't be so easily pushed away from truth. Just because everybody gets all flustered about what's popular to believe in now, and you'll look like a narrow-minded person who doesn't love people, don't be so easily pushed away from the anchor of what's right and wrong, what's true, what God has told us when the world puts pressure on you and heats up everything and says, you need to move away from that. He says, don't be so easily moved. My word. Then he says, uh, <laughs> I threw in the my word. Uh, <laughs> second verb there is alarmed. It is to be in the state of uh, constant emotional excitement or to be really in a panic. Uh, two reasons to be unsettled and alarmed by a rumor that we had missed the catching away, right? Number one is, what's the gospel? We believe these apostles are speaking the inerrant word of God. Are they anointed of the Holy Spirit or not? First, he teaches us one thing, encourage one another with these words. And now we're hearing as if Paul wrote this letter, somebody forged his name. That's what false teachers do. They say, hey, you know, even Billy Graham thinks that. You know, I heard him the other day say, right? And so they glom on to a popular name that people trust and they glommed on to Paul's name and said, listen, wake up, people. You missed it. Get over it. We're in the great tribulation. And he says... They're alarmed because they don't know who to believe now. We believe the word of God. What is the word of God? Second reason, that's why they're unsettled. Why they're alarmed is, I don't care if you are Billy Graham and you have the greatest faith in all the world. When you read what the day of the Lord entails, your knees are going to be knocking thinking about, I got to go through that? Come on. The earth will be destroyed by fire. Second Peter chapter 3. The sky, the sun, moon, and stars will be rolled up like a scroll. No mountains, as I already told you. No islands. 21 judgments from heaven. Each one worse and worse than the other one. They're alarmed. I don't care how much faith you have. You tell me the whole world is going to catch on fire and everybody's going to blow each other up in one big nuclear glow of holocaust Ism. <laughs> just, if you throw ism onto anything, it just sounds a lot better. <laughs> you know, come on. You'd be alarmed, right? So they're alarmed, and he's saying, listen, I got to tell you something. What's the source of the confusion? He says, I don't care if someone was prophesying, thus saith the Lord, or I don't care if someone was writing letters, signing our names to it, it's in your text. <laughs> 
or whether someone was preaching an eloquent sermon contradicting these things. You know when I love Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. He, Paul says, I don't care if it was me or our team or an angel that comes and tells you something different than what you received in the gospel that we've taught you. Even if I do, he says, let that person be eternally condemned. Wow, them biting words. <laughs> because the gospel saves. You can't mess around with the gospel if it's the gospel that saves and you don't have a gospel anymore because you've made cuts and changes, you don't have a saving thing anymore. That's why it's so important. And so he says, you know, don't be so easily alarmed and unsettled because those letters didn't come from us. And he says, worse yet in your text, don't let anybody deceive you. Man, the tribulation can't already be here because that day can't happen until two things have happened. A certain event called the rebellion and a certain person called the man of lawlessness. Uh, without those two things, you really can't have the tribulation, all right? Because that sort of defines the tribulation. The rebellion against God and their leader, the king. Mr. Wonderful himself, the Antichrist. Okay, here's what I have a quote to explain what the rebellion means. Unfortunately, I don't think the NIV got the, 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 this word as good as they could have, right? The rebellion, the word apostia, where we get the word apostasy, means to depart or to leave. And usually you can use it to say to depart the faith. So we call it that apostasy. But here you don't have it. It just says the departure. <laughs> so you can't be in the tribulation because the departure hasn't happened yet. So it could mean both things. Number one, I think there's a, wor a word play going on here. I think with all my heart that Paul is playing with the word to mean the departure. We're still here. The church is here. The rebellion is different from rebellion and lawlessness that works all the time in this world. The rebellion he's talking about is 100%. It's every last person, like the days of Noah, where every person and every inclination of everybody's heart was only evil all the time. That's Genesis chapter 6. That's the kind of thing the rebellion is. Listen. When you have pockets of salt and light, there's no rebellion in this room. Not that big rebellion of I hate God. Everybody's here wanting to love God and do his, his will. So this, this can't be the rebellion because, listen, and here's the play on words, because after the departure, you have the rebellion because who's left? The rebels. Who's left? Every grain of salt removed. Every glimmer of gospel light gone. What do you have left? You have the rebellion. You have, who's going to make a peep about anything about the sanctity of marriage or human sexuality? Who's going to make a peep about that when the salt and light has departed? You have the rebellion. You have everybody going after things that are not holy and not God and not true. 
And now, that would be the case. No church, no gospel preaching at first. There are conversions that come. Millions of conversions. There will be millions of people saved during those seven years. Uh, but at first, those first few moments, it's a world <laughs> of total rebellion. Now, this rebellion needs a leader. So he says, look around, come on. The departure hasn't happened. There are churches, the gospel's being preached. There are missions and hospitals and and and. There's goodness in the world, folks. We're talking about a world void of spiritual truth and goodness. That's the rebellion. And that happens with the departure. Very nice play on words there, I think. And so he goes on now to just discuss not only look around at there's no rebellion, there's no king over the rebellion. So here we go with Antichrist 101. He, Antichrist, will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you all these things. And now you know, because I already told you all these things. You know what's holding him back, the Antichrist, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one, it should be capital one, who now holds it back will continue to do so till he, and some of your Bibles has a capital H, as we believe it refers to the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. <laughs> And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with one word, with the breath of his mouth, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Now the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Powerful sentence. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Well, that's a lot to think about. It divides nicely into three things. A little bit about dear leader. Uh, and then a little bit about how dear leader comes to power, and then a third uh, idea there at the end of the passage about what dear leader's rule will be like. Let's talk about the, the last great world dictator versus four and five. We can pull that out. Okay, here, here's the deal. We're gonna describe the person. Now, number one, he's a climber. He wants to exalt himself over God. He's really tied in with Satan, and that has been Satan's desire in his heart uh, from the beginning. You, you see in uh, your text, he opposes every true idea about the living God, and he replaces those ideas about truth and God and the Bible and right and wrong and law and holidays, everything. He replaces all of that with his own ideas and himself. So 
Ultimately, that gets him to the middle of the tribulation where he comes and he proclaims himself to be God as your text says. Now, apparently, this is a man of peace. He comes, uh, Jesus opens the seals in Revelation chapter six to start the tribulation with seal number one. And the Antichrist is on a white horse, counterfeit miracles and wanting to be like Christ. So he's on his white horse with a little crown and he's got bows, but he, uh, he has a bow, but he has no arrows. He comes to make world peace, but he doesn't have the power to do so. So the first thing that happens is he comes uh, to, to make peace and he does so in the Middle East. He solves the problem. Everybody's happy for once. The Palestinians, the Arabs, ISIS, the whole deal, and Israel is secure. Jesus told the Jews in John chapter five, he said, you know, I come in my father's name, you don't receive me, but somebody's coming in his own name, him you will receive. A prophecy about the ruler. He comes, makes peace with the Jews, and apparently he causes in your text for there to be a temple of some sort reconstructed on the Temple Mount and be very easy, throw up a few walls, and man, you're in business, and you've got the Jews practicing again, offering sacrifices and those kinds of things. And so he's going to do that. But in the middle, Daniel chapter 9, in the middle of those seven years, he goes into that place, and he says, I am God. And the whole planet buys it, Except for who? The Jews. The one thing the Jew will not consent is that God can ever be a man, right? They believe that, that God will use a man to be their Messiah. So when this guy appears, he's going to claim to be God. The, everyone worships him, the world does. The Jews say, no way. And that's when he goes after Israel. And that's when Jesus says in Matthew 24, oh, when you see him, and he's speaking to Jews, not Christians. He says, when you see him, go in and do the abomination of desolation. When you see him proclaim himself God on that temple mound, don't even go in and get your jacket. Run for your lives because he's going to burn after Israel who will not bow to him. And this is the middle of the tribulation. Now, uh, he's always wanted to be worshipped, the devil, you know, and, and, and he's called now, as he's influencing this man, uh, a lawless man. Um, it's mentioned three times in your passage. Uh, there'll be no more moral laws, right? Uh, he will make what's wrong right, as we see happening in the world. And he won't even like civil law because all laws begin and end with him. So it's like he's gonna redo everything. Even the Bible predicts he'll change the holidays and the, and the work week. Not the work week so much, he's gonna, he's gonna mess around with the way you call a week and a month and a year because he's king of the earth. And so these are the things that he's going to do. His target will be God and the law, religion and ethics, his goal, uh, not anarchy, but totalitarianism. Here's the definition of totalitarianism. 
a political system where the state recognizes no limits to its authority and strives to regulate every aspect of public and private life wherever possible. It sounds pretty familiar to me. <laughs> now, just to say the world is getting ever so close to accepting that kind of behavior. So moving on, that's a little bit about him. Um, moving on, how, how he's revealed, verses six through eight. He says, remember I told you all of this. Uh, he says, uh, the restraining, God is restraining. There's lots of wannabe antichrist. John says there are many in the world right now, but not the antichrist. Because God's got a timetable. He's got the right guy, the right place at the right time. And the Holy Spirit, we believe, is being referred to as the restrainer. He's the guardrails that keeps this world from going completely bonkers and completely crazy off the cliff spiritually and morally and legally in all of these ways. But one day, when his influence is done here through the church... The Holy Spirit is in our hearts and he will be taken, look at the language again, taken out of the way. Out of the way of what? Ah, uh, the wrath that is coming. Now the Holy Spirit will still be here in the great tribulation. He's omnipresent. But his witness, his work is through his people, the church. And when the church and who indwells the church is taken out of the way, Oh, then you have what's coming, the revelation. He says, when that happens, he's revealed. When the Holy Spirit goes in the sense of taking the church up, somebody's going to come from a Western bloc, the 10 nations in Europe kind of thing that most people agree on through Daniel and Revelation. He's going to arise, and hey, I've got a little list of things about him. He's going to be an intellectual genius, Daniel 8.23. He's going to be an oratorical genius, Daniel 11.36. He's going to be a political genius, Revelation 17, 11 through 12. He's going to be a commercial genius, Daniel 11.43, Revelation 13.8. He will be a military genius, Revelation 6 and verse 2, 13 and verse 2. He will be a religious genius, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. He will begin by controlling the Western power block, Revelation 17. He will make a seven-year covenant with Israel, but will break it in three and a half years, Daniel 9.27. He will attempt to destroy all of Israel, Revelation 12. He will destroy the great superpower called Great Babylon, so that he may rule unhindered. I wonder who that is. He will set himself up as God, Daniel eleven thirty six, and in your passage. He will briefly rule over all nations. He will be utterly crushed by the Lord Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon. He will be the first person thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 19, verse 20. He will be a master of deceit, your passage, he will be energized by the devil himself. Revelation 13, 2, and the, the counterfeit miracle that pushes the world over the edge. He takes a mortal wound to the head and dies. 
as Satan himself possesses him and raises him from the dead. Once that happens, the world cries out, who is like the beast? The Bible's name for the Antichrist is the beast. God doesn't even give him the dignity of being called a man, but calls him a wild animal. Two more things. He will not regard the God of his fathers. Daniel 11.36 seems to hint that he may have a Jewish background because that's the only way that that makes sense. It could mean something else. And the last one, he will not have the desire for women. Daniel 11.37. That's very interesting, isn't it? The way the world is going. So, so that's him, and he will be re revealed when he, not it, when he is taken out of the way. That would be the Holy Spirit and the church. There go my glasses. Just move them aside and all will be fine. <laughs> I don't like them anyway. <laughs> so the guardrail will go. So this is who he is. This is how he comes to power. And now a little bit what his rule will be like. Verses 9 through 12 for you. Well, what's his kingdom going to look like? Well, very interesting. Look at your verse. It juxtaposes the coming, the parousia of Jesus with the coming parousia of the lawless one. Now, he says he does that. He arrives with counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. Isn't that interesting? Because the devil now is in Side this beast, this man, and he's doing everything that Jesus did. Now, Jesus' ministry was accredited by miracle signs and wonders. Jesus said, hey, if you don't believe me, check out the miracles, man. They prove that my claims are, are real, right? He's going to do the same exact thing only by the devil's power. Miracle signs and wonders counterfeit. And in the Greek, it says lying wonders. So why does, he, why does he do that? Well, he does that because Jesus did it. But Jesus' signs and wonders always led to truth, to righteousness, to walking in the light, to repentance, to holiness, uh, to, to heaven. And those lying wonders lead to deception and darkness and immorality and error and falsehood. So they're counterfeit. Have you ever noticed, I mean, everything about the devil, he just counterfeits God. I mean, he, he wants to be just like him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Satan, his boy, the Antichrist, son, and Holy Spirit, the false prophet who prophesies and does signs and wonders prophetically like the Holy Spirit. You see, so you have counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. Now listen to me. Just because a psychic can tell you something that nobody else could have ever told you doesn't mean it's true. It means there's power there. The devil has power. He's not the opposite of God. He started out as Lucifer in Ezekiel, what is it, Ezekiel 28, 
he fell in love with himself. It says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. Lucifer means the shining one, the light bearer. And he became the devil because he caught a look at himself and fell in love, and the rest is history. Why did God let that happen? I don't know, but you can ask him yourself when, <laughs> when you see him because you all have an appointment. It is, un- it is appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. So when you're standing there, you can ask him, why would you even let that happen for? And, and he'll tell you. And I, I don't think that will be on your mind <laughs> at the time. I, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, so, you know, there's power. I used to ask my college classes, you know, do you believe in God? You know, a few hands here and there. I'd say, hey, does anybody believe there's a real devil? The whole class. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't have self-control. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's always overplaying his hand. He never knows when to pull back, right? Everybody kind of gets, wow, there's evil. When there's evil, you know there's evil, right? And so there's power. There's power there. You know, some, a bunch of palm readers, they don't even know what they're messing with. But then you've got the real deal. I mean, remember when Moses, um, God said, put your rod out over the Nile. And he turned it to blood. They worshiped the Nile. So he's like, you want to worship the Nile? Here you go. Then put your Put your uh, staff up over the Nile and cause all the frogs to come and invade them. So the frogs come out. They were everywhere in their beds. It says this in their kneading bowls. When they're making bread, there are frogs everywhere. Janus and John Brace, the the Pharaoh sorcerers, say, hey, (laughs) we've got power. So they brought a fresh bucket of water and said, boo, yeah, watch this. And it turned to blood. And then they said, watch this. No frogs? Frogs. You want frogs? And I can imagine Pharaoh saying, who wants more frogs and more blood? Get rid of the frogs. Get rid of the blood. You know? So these guys, listen, ultimately, there's a truth here. Satan's power can only make it worse. It can only cause the hemorrhage to continue. It can only cause the monstrosity to be increased. But it can never fix the problem. It can only make things worse. And I just love that little teaching. You know, I just look at Pharaoh just, you know, like, oh, more frogs. You're fired. Get out of here. What are you bringing me more frogs for? Uh, He reaches into his pocket and take this one too. crazy sorcerers and so the you know it's the mock resurrection from the dead that's going to get everybody on board with him now uh they perish why is it satan's fault no they your text they refuse to love the truth and so be saved uh love of the truth was offered that's implied here but they rejected it love what one commentator said Behind the great deception, there lay the great refusal. Apparently, the evil one can only deceive to this great an extent those who allow themselves and at some level want to be led astray for whatever reason. That lie serves 
them, right? You know, in high school, Fleetwood Mac was popular. There was a song, tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies, right? That's their national anthem. <laughs> they, they want to hear it at some level because they delight in the wickedness and reject the truth. And listen, God is never going to say on that great day, you know, that he's happy about their demise. They wanted this. They won't be happy in heaven. They're unhappy. They're seen in the parables. The door shuts. Jesus tells a story, makes it like heaven and, and, and the door shut. And they're pounding on the door. Let us in, let us in, let us in. But they're only upset with the uncomfortable nature of their new environment, the consequences of their unbelief. They will, if you open the door, you could give them a drink of water and just say, hey, you know. But they wouldn't be happy. Jesus is there. God's people are there. God's laws, the Bible, the scriptures, the angels, Christian music. <laughs> They'd be miserable, you see. And so God says, they want that destiny. They want that destiny. It's hard to believe. But he says that they do. The, the tricky part here is that for that reason, God, verse 11, sends them a powerful delusion so that they'll go the whole way. God knows who's who. If there was this much of a chance that that person would turn, there's no way. God knows the end. So he knows that they really would go all the way and to his face say, I don't even want, I would rather go there than serve you. He knows who they are. And he says, I'm going to bless your decision. Now, I kind of see this as Romans chapter one, when people exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship themselves or sexual immorality or pleasure or money um, rather than him. He gives them over to some degree. Sometimes it's to let them see, is that really what you want, <laughs> right? But he does give them over. He does bless the work that was started by the devil himself and said, you know what? This is what I think of Psalm 18 and verse 26. It says, to the pure, I show myself pure. To the crooked, I show myself shrewd. How does that play in with this? I think it's like God saying, you play straight with me, I'll play straight with you. You want to come to me? You want to be honest? I'll, I'll save you. I'll comfort you. I'll play straight with you. But if you want to mess around with me and play games and believe lies, then I will beat you at your own game. Because I will enter your game and I will beat you in the end and I will make sure that you lose. If your heart is bent on fighting me to the end, well, then I will make sure that I win. That's what he's saying. I will make sure that goodness triumphs over evil, that justice prevails over injustice, that right wins over wrong, and that heaven rules and that punishment is dealt to those who refuse the grace of God and Jesus' payment. Now, 
you have to work to perish. You really do. It's a lot of work to end up in hell. Uh, it really is. Because you have to, first of all, get, get you got to leapfrog over your own conscience that's been screaming at you night and day. All right? Then you've got to blind your eyes to the great creation that, that screams out, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. You have to sidestep all of that. You have to drown out the voice of the church and of Christians who say, ah, I used to be a drunk. Now I'm a pastor. I used to be Mary Magdalene. Now I'm the first witness of the resurrection. I used to kill Christians. Now I'm the apostle Paul. I used to be greedy, money-hungry, traitor, Matthew, collecting taxes from everybody. Not even my mother liked me. (laughs) (laughs) Now I wrote the gospel of Matthew by the grace of God. You have to blind all of that out and deafen your ears to every last person who's ever said, God, answered my prayer. I used to be an unbeliever. Now I'm a believer. Let me tell you about this, that, and the other thing. You have to deafen your voice, your, your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, who comes alongside every single human soul and convicts and woos and convinces and pleads and says, please, there's a way for you to avoid what was made, not for man, but the devil and his angels. Come this way. Come to me. You've had to work a lifetime to block out that loving voice conscience, creation, the church, the Bible, the scriptures, the preaching. You've got to work hard. And then the worst thing of all, the biggest leap, the leapfrog over the bloodied, bruised, battered, dead body of God the Son on your behalf. You have to get over that. You have to walk your feet over God's dead body because he said over my dead body will anyone perish. And that's the only way anybody does perish. It's over his dead body because he died to prevent anybody from going there. And if they end up there, they walk straight over his broken body that said it was for you. And on that great day, he's going to sit on the, on the throne and he's going to say, hey, look, I still got him. I did this so that I would never have to say these words to you. Spent a lifetime with you, man. Thy will be done. Not mine. This is mine. Thy will be done. 1 Timothy 2.4 For God our Savior wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9, for it is not God's will that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn and live and be saved. That's God's heart. So yeah, it's a terrible passage. (laughs) You know, I feel like the welcome and praise the Lord. (laughs) Happy Sunday, you know. Uh, However, it's the truth. You know, I told this to the first crowd. It's good news or bad news depending on who you are and what's going on in your heart. If I'm in a bank and somebody 
robbed the bank, and I'm just there trying to get my couple 20s out of the ATM, and I hear the sirens, and I see the light, and the police are showing up, the, Peru, the Perusia, the arrival of the police. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> but there's somebody in the bank who's feeling really bad, and that would be the perpetrator. That's the criminal. Anybody who wants to do the wrong thing. So these passages, even when I, when I read this passage, I'm encouraged because I'm the innocent guy but who was washed by the blood of Jesus who encountered that cross and said, whoa, I don't want sin that bad. I don't want sin that bad. Do you? Let's finish up with some good news. He's going to affirm them because he knows they're freaked out. So he says, <laughs> and check this out in light of what he just told them, right? The delusion God is sending and all of this. But, but, we, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved. Well, if that doesn't put any of your anxiety to rest through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through, the, and through your belief in the truth, this is really important because you see God and his choosing, and you see your cooperation. You see, they're both working. He called you, and you answered because you believe the truth. He called you through the gospel that you might share in the glory, not in any of what we just talked about. That's for rejecters of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, here's the conclusion. Stand firm. Hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And let's say these uh, things. I'll make a couple comments, but this is so encouraging. Let's read 16 and 17 together. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You know, so he says, you got a few things going for you, and those things will assure you that you have nothing to fear. He's already told them, there's no way you can be in the great tribulation. Now he's going to say to them, who are probably thinking, you know, I've believed lies before. You know, I'm only a year old in the Lord. The church is only brand new. What if it happens to me? So he's saying, you've got three things. You've got the love of God the Father, a fierce love of God that responds to those who responded to Jesus. Oh, you made a covenant with his son. Oh, that love separates you from all harm. He says, not a hair of your head. To, to those, he says, they're going to martyr some of you. Don't worry, not a, not a hair on your head will, will perish. Right after he said, they're going to kill some of you. He said, don't worry. Not a hair in your head will perish. Because of his love, he's going to safeguard you. He's safeguarding you. And then he goes on to say, now listen, from the beginning, and this goes with Paul's other teaching. Listen to this. This is good. Before there was an earth, before human time, God already did the deal. He saved you. He chose you. It was already as good as done before you lived your life. You're already in him, saved. 
raised up and seated, past tense, in heavenly places. So don't you be worrying about what if if this? I love Jesus. Walk with him. Walk in the light. And God's love will protect you. And the sheer destiny of what God has done by choosing you at the beginning. Now, that's a great thing. We're going to talk about it. I think we're going to go to Ephesians after this book. So after next week, we're headed there and... That opening sentence is filled with the election. It means God looked at a group, and we got to deal with this, people. He looked at a group, and he goes, you, 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 you. No one knows why. That's what it means. He chose some. Does it mean he did not choose the others? Nobody really has an answer to that. I would say this, that he gives everybody a choice. He does not violate free will. Some choose him. He is choosing. People are choosing. They work to, it works together. God chooses. Why would he say whosoever believes and offer a gospel if you're unable to choose, if it's already done? It can't already be done, but in some ways it's already done. How does that all work? That I have free will and God's choosing me. I'm going to show you a picture of it. It's very easy to explain. Right here. (laughs) Now, you start here. God, before the er, okay, now listen. Come on. You can't do this kind of spiritual theological algorithm, or what, if that's a word. One day, when you get to heaven, you will be changed. You will know as you are fully known. You'll be able to solve theological conundrums like this. You'll look at this board and go, of course. (laughs) All right? You'll go, oh, yeah, of course, that explains it. God is choosing, I'm choosing, and they work together hand in hand. Is it this? That if all things being equal, God in his foreknowledge, if I could choose, knows that I would choose him, so he chose me to choose him. (laughs) That's right there, right over here. (laughs) See the triangle there? That's where. (laughs) You know what? Maybe you're sitting here going, that's unfair. What if I'm not chosen? Choose him. (laughs) Choose him right now and you'll be chosen. That's it right there. That's the answer. It's that easy. Right there. (laughs) All right. Thank you for that slide. I'll tell you what. Paul says in Romans 9 about this. He says, what if? What if God chose some and didn't choose others? Who are you to raise a finger to God? That's what he says. He didn't say he did. He just said, what if in our struggle to understand how is this all? together. We know God chose, but did he leave some out? He said, what if he did? It says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, period, because I'm God. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, hey, what do you think you're doing? I don't think you can do that. That's, I'm quoting, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. (laughs) Romans 9. 
What if God said, I pick some? Oh, is it unfair? I'm going to offer you a different thought. It's not unfair. It's called mercy. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glory. The wages of that sin is death for everybody. If God decided, he would be perfectly just to say, you know what? Wages of sin is death. But that he goes and says, you know what? You, 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 you. That's not called unfair. That's called merciful. That's called merciful. Now, some of these, we're going back to the math equation now. I already see it in your eyes. They're glazing over. All right? But listen, God is incapable of doing anything wrong. It is all right, all the time, all light, all good, all true, all perfect, all just, and all wonderful. And we can't figure it out, but when we get there, we're going to go, what? <laughs> the first 10,000 years, just singing about how great he is and how merciful and wonderful his love is. We'll get it then. And then it will be right, and you will go, that makes sense. There'll be no finger pointing in heaven. Well, yeah, no, that's the other place. It's <laughs> the other place where they do that. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we're encouraged, Lord. We're, we're the ones just standing there where the perpetrators are, are not reconciled to you and breaking the law. We have come under your law, the mercy of Christ, and we expect and know of a rescue that's coming, not only to save us from the coming wrath, but to deliver us from our sins and condemnation. So we thank you, God, for the power of your love change our hearts and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.